you want to turn in your Bibles again to 1 Corinthians 11, as we talk about the Lord's table, and I've probably shared uh, this story once before, but uh, it's appropriate in so many ways that I, I like to, to share it again, and it's about a, a little girl that uh, was watching her mother make a ham dinner after church one Sunday, and she noticed that her mother cut the ends off the ham, and she asked her mother, why do you cut the ends off the ham? And She said, well, I suppose it's to let the juices in to the ham to make it taste better. She says, but I'm not really sure. Maybe you should call Grandma and ask her. And so the little girl called Grandma up and said, Grandma, Mom's making a ham, and she cut off the ends, and she said it's to let the juices and the spices get into the ham a little bit more. But she said she wasn't really sure, but to call you and see if that was the reason. And she says, well, I, I think that's the reason. She said to, to let the spices and the, the juices in more. But really, um, you should probably call great-grandma because that's who I learned it from. And so she called her Nana up and said, Nana, and she went through the whole thing again. You know, Mom told me this, and I called Grandma, and... Grandma told me this, and Grandma told me I should call you great-grandma. Um, you know, is that the reason to let the spices and that in? And there was sort of an awkward pause for a little bit, and the little girl thought she heard laughing, and all of a sudden Grandma said, it wasn't for any of that, dear. She says, I just had a small pan. And so what this really teaches us, I think, as we look at things is that we end up doing things for the wrong reasons sometimes. In a church, we do that. In a church, we, we get so enamored with uh, tradition sometimes, and we get so enamored with, with ways that things have been taught through the years that we refuse to look at the scriptures with fresh eyes and looks. I just listened to a, a sermon series by Alistair Begg who talked about Gideon um, and the battle that ensued and him picking his man and we'll probably talk about that at a future date but his whole premise on this was we look at thing, things in one way and, and we don't look at them afresh and God tells us that when we open his word that it's alive and active and so we have all these preconceived things sometimes in our life and they may be right but they may be wrong and so as we look at things, we can look at the history of, of why we have done things and, and how we have done things, and we may see that maybe God is trying to um, show us something new through it. And as we talk about the Lord's table, I think this is one of them. We have maybe been taught many things through our childhood or through different churches, and we never really have stopped to ask why do we do this? So today, I mean, we have the symbols of the body and the blood of Christ. Why do we do this? And, and there's four real, uh, reasons revealed in the text that I read today, and we're going to talk about them in a little bit. But we need to really look at the deeper meaning, too, is why did Paul take time to have to explain this? If, if you followed the, the theme of this as he began to speak, um, it wasn't any real compliment to the church. He says, Now given these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better but for the worse. It's obvious that the church had a problem going on. 
Paul wanted to address that, and the problem that he's going to address was around the Lord's table. And when we talk about this, um, there's, there's different theories on what the Lord's table used to be back then, but it was basically a meal. It was sort of like the Passover meal that took place. We do smaller elements, smaller symbols, but really what was happening is those that, that had the resources and, and had uh, were in the right circles, they would come together and they would eat all the food before those that were less fortunate could come together and they weren't able to share in this Passover. And so there were some troubles going on. Verses 17 through 22 sort of reveal that this Corinthian church, and as we've talked about the Corinthian church, uh, it had issues. And many churches do have issues. I mean, every church uh, I think that I've ever been a part of or visited, uh, there's always something happening behind the scenes. And there was something going on anyways with the, uh, the, the communion service or the Lord's table, as we call it, in Corinth. And Paul found that he needed to address it because he says, first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions amongst you, and in part I believe it. And he goes on to say, you know, sometimes factions are needed to show what's right and wrong when we have disagreements about things. But one of the things that Christ has taught us in the church is unity. We're to have unity. We're to be the same mind in the, the same direction and the same goals as we move ahead. But the bottom line to the problem is that they really didn't understand the meaning of communion. They didn't really understand the deal of the Lord's table. They were, they were using it in a way that it really should have never been used. And why Paul wasn't present at the Lord's table at the Last Supper, because this is what he is explaining as he moves on a little bit. He tells us in verse 23, he says, I receive from the Lord, which I also deliver to you. He wasn't there at that Last Supper, but God had revealed these things to him. And so as God revealed this to him, he shared those. And what we really see through this is that Jesus was interpreting something old. And so when we talk about the Lord's table, and probably in a future service, I'll go through that and we'll sort of see how Jesus transformed that specifically. But Jesus was really transforming, or interpreting, I should say, uh, something that was old. The Passover meals were um, in Exodus 12. We could read about those. We're going to be there in a minute if you want to flip over there. But this Passover feast included a lamb. Well, we know that Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was our payment. He is our lamb that paid that sacrifice. We also know that in the Passover um, feast it included unleavened bread. So bread that wouldn't rise. And these all have religious symbols, and we'll talk about those in a future date, but and then there was the wine that they had. So we have two of those things. We have the juice that represents the blood, and we have the uh, unleavened bread that represents the body of Christ. And so when Jesus was coming together with this, he was explaining something. He transformed this Passover back from Exodus 12 into what we call the Lord's table today. And again, we'll talk more about that, that total transformation a little bit later. But he was now instituting something new. Something new was going to take place. This is the new covenant in my blood, he is telling them. The, the communion of believers, or we would say the fellowship of believers. 
He was saying this is something that we come together as a body and share corporately. This is something that we come together, you know, it's still the, the individual thing. So there's repentance that's involved with this and there's reconciliation and there's all these things that are going to happen that are individual, but it's also a corporate prayer. We do this as a body of believers. And so the communion of believers was something very important. Paul taught a lot in the New Testament about relationships between believers in the church. That we're supposed to have a care for one another. We're supposed to have a love for one another. You know, it says when one member suffers, we all suffer. When one member rejoices, we all rejoice. So when we hear about Jeff's heart and he's doing good, you know, you hear all these people, you know, some want to clap and say, hey, amen, God is good. You know, we, we are part of this family of God. But the whole reason God instituted the Passover feast is given really in, in Exodus 12, and I'll just touch on a, a couple of these so we can see what it is, but it really dealt with the Passover lamb that was given. And so in Exodus 12, um, starting in, ver well, verse 17, we're not going to read the whole process, um, but it's in Exodus 12, if you want to read through it, it says, So you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you also shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. And so this is where the Passover was instituted. This is how what we know as the Lord's table first began. Now we know that again, Christ transformed all this. You go over to Exodus 12 to verse 24. On it says this, and you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land in which the Lord will give you, just as he promised that you shall keep this service. And so he's telling Israel at this time, this is something that you need to observe, that you need to keep, that you need to train your children in. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service that you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passes over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. And their children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And so it was a teaching moment for them. It was a moment about God's hand in their life, how, how God had delivered them through some horrendous things that were going on. If you look at the life of Israel and you look at our lives, sometimes you know we think we are really struggling with things, but Israel had some terrible things that were happening back then, and, and God had delivered them. So this was part of that reason. So the first thing is that the Lord's table, when we come together, is this, to remember him, to remember Jesus, to remember what he did for you and what he did for me. So even though we do this corporately, we think about this individually. It is Christ who came, Christ who became our Passover lamb. It is Christ who paid for my sins upon that cross and shed his blood. And so when we look at this, the first thing is to remember him. Do this, it says, in remembrance of me. Twice he says that. Do this in remembrance of me. Christ wanted us to remember what he had did. It should be something that goes before us every day. When we talk about a relationship with Christ, 
it should be really fulfilling our life each and every day. We should be thinking and seeing God's hand at work in our life. We should be seeing the blessings around us. So many times we look at the negative things, but we should be seeing the blessings, the deliverance many times of what God has done for us. And so verse 24 and 25 says, do this in remembrance of me. The second thing in verse 26 is this. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So one of these things is rejoicing, to proclaim something. Paul states clearly that we should be proclaiming something. So it's a teaching moment again. We come together, but why? Okay, to remember him, to proclaim. What, is it, what does it mean to proclaim? Thayer tells us this. Proclaim means to announce, to declare, to make known, to proclaim publicly, to publish. That's Thayer's definition, to proclaim something. Webster says this, proclaim means to declare publicly, typically, insistently, proudly, or defiantly in either speech or writing, to praise or glorify openly or publicly. So when we come together, we're coming together publicly to share in the Lord's table, to remember what he did, and to rejoice again in his death and his resurrection, okay? For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. See, the death wasn't the end of it. We know he resurrected, but he's coming again for his church. He's coming again for his people. So this tells the world that we believe that he has risen. When we do this communion, when we do this Lord's table, and somebody says, what is this all about? And again, these are teaching moments. We say, well, it's about Jesus. For the unsaved, we can do it as a witness to people. We celebrate Jesus, his death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, and guess what? He is coming again. This is where we rejoice, because he's alive. We don't serve a dead God. We serve a risen Savior. And as the song goes, he's in the world today. I know he is, that he is with me, whatever men may say. Do you live your life in such a way that, that people see Christ in your life? By your actions, by your words, by, by you know, the small things in your life. Does your character reflect that? So we remember, we rejoice. The third thing is repent. And again, I always like to explain repent because repent isn't just saying I'm sorry. In the prison, I have a lot of men that are sorry. They're sorry they got caught. They're sorry they're in jail. They're, they're sorry that they've hurt somebody, but they haven't made changes in their life. They haven't allowed God to even make changes in their life. Repentance is a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of direction. It's being in agreement with God. So when we confess and repent, that's being in agreement with God. God, I agree with you. I'm a sinner. I agree with you that there's no redeemable thing in my life apart from you. My value and my worth come from you, Lord. See, when we share in the Lord's table, we're, we're really given the opportunity to examine our lives before God. 27 and 28 tells us, Therefore, whoever eats this and drinks this cup in the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and then let him eat the bread and drink of the cup. Paul is saying to the Corinth church, and he's saying to us through the Holy Scriptures, that we're to look at ourselves before we partake of this thing. It's not to be taken lightly. 
It's not to be taken without thought. It's not to be taken for the wrong reasons. We, we understand what it's about. And we examine ourselves. And we see the things in our life that need to change. We see the things in our life that, that don't belong there. And we purpose in our heart to turn those over to God. And we purpose in our heart to walk in a new direction, a new way. That's what repentance is. Repentance is, well, I got caught at it this time, and so, you know, again, I used the prison a lot of times, and it's a fine line between, between us and those in prison. They just got caught, you know. But in the prison, a lot of them haven't made a, a change in their life. They, they actually are trying to figure out ways to go out and do the same things that they've been doing their whole life without getting in trouble for it. They're, they're, they're sort of manipulating those things. Part of the programs, part of the treatments that we do, and my part is faith-based, is we try to get people to look and say that there's a better way to live. And, and Christ is that answer. And so we examine our lives. Lord, search me and try me. If there's any evil way in me, if there's any vile way in me, reveal it to me. And then I, I purpose in my heart because I know it's wrong in my mind. Right? So it's a change of mind, a change of heart. In my heart, I know I got to do something different. And it's God that changes our heart. It says that we have this heart of stone, but He can give us a heart of flesh. And so, in our relationship with Him, He convicts us of these things. And I'm in agreement with Him. So, a change of heart. God has come in and He's convicted me of these things. And He's put it to my mind that I need to do something different. And that word do is in there, that I need to do something different. And then I walk in his strength, and I walk in his power, and I walk in his wisdom, in his understanding. You know, Psalms 14, 1 says, A fool says in his heart that there is no God. We were, after our cycle ride yesterday, we were up with a, a youth group paintballing up in up north in Boyd area. And uh, through the devotion, we had a, a gentleman give a devotion that was just moving with these young kids, you know, to, to challenge them, to say, you know, we need something more than what this life has to offer, that God is real. And when God convicts us, and when God talks to us, and when we examine our lives, you know, we don't like to look in the mirror always. The older I get, I, I just don't like to look in the mirror. I'm getting sort of baggy eyes, I'm getting gray hair, I'm getting, you know, whatever. And it's just hard sometimes because I always picture myself just sort of as this young, viral, young man. And, you know, and I look in the mirror, it's like, you know, they're not in agreement. Was something's wrong there. But we need to spiritually look at our life. Same thing as I look in my spiritual life and it's like, I'm lacking. Uh, there's things I'm missing. There's things I'm doing that I shouldn't. And there's things that I should be doing that I'm not. But that's that examination. And so when we come together for the Lord's table, we examine ourselves and we purpose in our heart and, and sort of making a commitment to God that things are going to change. I'm going to do something different. And Lord, I know that you are going to help me through this. And so we do this before God and we do this sometimes before our brethren. At, a, at this point in our, our time together, we ask God to really show us again. Revealed to us because in our eyes, sometimes we are so close to the situation that that we don't see things objectively, right? I've I've met bitter people. 
I know bitter people. They don't think they're bitter. And it's like, this is so obvious. I mean, how can you not see it? Because they're in it. They're living it. And they just think that they're fine. But when we step back sometimes, when we ask God, God, show me. God will show you. When we really pray to him and seek him, he is there. He will tell us what we need to know. And so we need to openly allow the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sinfulness. You know, the Holy Spirit, besides convicting of us of our sinfulness, he also encourages us in the good things we're doing. And when we're walking in the ways of the Lord, we get that peace that surpasses understanding. But we want to be open to allow the Holy Spirit to do its work in us. To seek to be restored based on Christ's death. Listen, you can't change your life. We deal with a lot of self-help groups, and, and that's fine, but that's sort of telling, just the name of it, a self-help group. I mean, they can help you to a point, but it's only Christ that can change you totally. It's him that, that wipes things away. It's him that can forgive. And so we repent of those things in our life. Again, a change of heart, change of mind, change of direction. We're now following him. We purpose that every time we can come to the Lord's table. We can purpose that in our heart every day. Because some of the false teachings about communion, about the Lord's table, are this. That, well, as soon as I take this, my sins are gone. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. These are symbols. These are representations. Some churches teach that this is the actual body of Christ. It's transformed miraculously into the body of Christ and into the blood of Christ. Well, that's not it. When Jesus is talking about this, he's talking about these symbols that are there. But some pastors teach that. Some pastors teach you take this and, and whatever sins you've had since your last communion uh, are gone. You know, sort of like baptism. People used to say, well, you know, you get baptized and my sins are washed away. Well, that's a metaphor. It's a picture of what baptism is. It's not the literal thing that baptism does. You know, our sins aren't on our skin. It's not like taking a bath and getting the dirt off of us. Our sins are in our heart. Our sins are in our, our, our being. And so we look at this representation. And we ask God to really to be restored to a right relationship with him. You know, when you're under conviction, when you're, if, you, if you're a born-again believer sitting here today, and, and you're not walking with the Lord, it's, it's a miserable time. It's a miserable time. God is at work in us, and he's trying to convict us, and Satan's over here trying to tug on us and, and pull on us and, and keep us going in the direction or justifying uh, the sin in our life. Jesus says we need to be in agreement with his word. His word has the answers for all these things. Fourthly is to reconcile. And I think this is a very important one. Verse 29 says, For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So the reason we do this is, is, is solemnly. The reason we do this is because we've examined ourselves. The reason we do this is really for, for judgment purposes. You know, the Bible says if we judged ourselves righteously, according to God's words, others wouldn't have a right to judge us. But the problem is, is that we live our life the way that we want to live it. You know, go for the gusto, you only live once, and all these things, and we miss the real joy of life and living in Christ. Because the world infiltrates our minds and says, well, you can't have fun and be a Christian. You know, well, fun is temporary. 
And I, you know, when I was an EMT, I went to a, a lot of calls where people thought they were having fun, and, and uh, it just wasn't that way. They were overdosed, or they were in, in accidents, and they were in this and that. You know, it's only God that can give you the joy in your life. It's only God that can give you peace in your life. We try to find it in so many other places, and so Christ says, I came to reconcile you, and not just to reconcile you, but I've given you this ministry of reconciliation. And so as we come to the Lord in this memorial, sort of, of what we do, called the Lord's Table, we're given the opportunity to confess our sinfulness. We're given the opportunity to reconcile, which really means to restore friendship, to restore harmony. And do we need that in our life? Do you need harmony in your life? Does your life seem out of sync sometimes? Does it seem like your life is singing a flat note all the time? See, reconciliation to Christ is it brings us harmony. It means we settle and we resolve these things. We don't have to be tossed back and forth. We can settle and we can resolve these things. So we're given the opportunity not only to repent, but to be reconciled to God. That's the individual thing. But also to one another. Remember, he was talking to the Corinth church, and they were having problems with each other in the body. You know, they had this group that was doing this, and this group that was doing this, and this group was being left out. And so we can reconcile to one another through the blood of Christ. We do it because God has called us to unity. I'm sort of doing a study on Israel right now, and I, I should ask uh, my Old Testament people over here to, to think about this, but Israel, as they wandered through the desert, you never saw factions leave. You never saw people take off. They hung together through some pretty tough times. And there was mumblings, and there was grumblings, and there was tough times, and there was deaths, but they stuck it out. They stuck it together. And so as a body, we reconcile also to one another. Colossians tells us this, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through the death to present you holy in his sight. That reconciliation that we have with Christ, when we take these elements here, we are remembering what Jesus did for us. We're being reconciled to him so that we might be holy in his sight. You know, Romans tells us that our lives are like filthy rags. But through the reconciliation to Christ, it says he presents us holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. Ah, oh, that's a nice thought to have. That when we go to meet with the Lord, that we're going to be free from accusation if we have that personal relationship with him. 2 Corinthians 5, 18-21 says, All this from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Okay, So God is reconciling himself to the world through Christ. There's one way to heaven, that's through Jesus Christ. And so he sent his son Jesus, and that's what we teach people. You want to be right with God, there's one door, one way to get there. And that's through Jesus Christ. Not counting men's sins against them. We were just listening to that in Hebrews today. As John was teaching through Hebrews about the, the new covenant that is there. It says, not um, counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though Christ were making his appeal through us. you understand that if you're a born-again believer sitting here today, that you're an ambassador of Christ, you're a representation of, of Christ in this world, you are a mouthpiece of Christ in this world? That's really what an ambassador is. You're a representation 
a representative of Christ in this world. And it says, it's just as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you in Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what the Lord's table is about. We remember all that, that, that I was sinful, but that Christ bore that sin in the, on the cross for me. I no longer need to carry that load. I just need to repent of those things as they come and follow him and keep my eyes on him. And if we're being reconciled back to God because he's given us reconciliation, we should also use this opportunity to be reconciled to one another who we are at odds. You might be sitting here today and maybe somebody's come to mind, you know, that I really have issue with this person or, or we're not getting along or we're fighting right now. God implores us to try to make peace. Live peaceably with all men as much as depends on you. Too many times we look at the Lord's table as a, a simple time between God and us. If that was the case, we wouldn't need to do this corporately. Paul wouldn't have been telling the church this is how it needs to be done. You know, we could do that anytime, and we can do that anytime. We can be reconciled to God. But we must remember one purpose of the Lord's table is to allow us to mend broken relationships also. So in conclusion, it's a time to remember, it's a time to rejoice, it's a time to repent, it's a time to reconcile. And what are the consequences if we continue to taking it in an unworthy manner? Well, Paul said that we would be sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. I read this every time that, that we come to the Lord's table. And I put that challenge out there. You know, only God knows the heart, you know your heart. But Paul said, you're sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. It says you're making a mockery. If you're sitting here today not willing to submit yourself to Christ, not having a personal relationship with Jesus, not wanting to change something in your life, and you take this symbol as we do this as a body, it says that, that you're really um, sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. In eating and drinking, it says judgment unto ourselves because we're taking it at in such an unworthy manner. And just as all sin in our life has consequences, so does sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. So we partake the communion together today to remember what Jesus went through for you. I want you to make that personal. What Jesus went through for you. He died for you. He died for me. If I was the only sinner in this whole world, Jesus would have came and he would have died for me. And we need to rejoice that he died for you and that he died for me. Well, we say, well, I don't really like to rejoice about this death, but we know that that's not the end of the story. And as horrible as we think it is that God had to send his son down here and, and die for us, we rejoice in it because it was our only hope. It was our only way to be reconciled back to the Father. And we know that he didn't stay dead. We repent of any sin that we willingly know of and have committed. You know, there's sins of omission, there's sins of commission. There's sins that we do out of ignorance, we don't even know until God reveals them to us. But there's purposeful sins that we partake in our life. We know it's wrong, we know we shouldn't be doing it, we, we do it anyways. We need to repent of those sins in our life. And we need to be reconciled back to God and any brother and sister. 
So just a little forethought as we come together, and we're going to be coming together here in just a, a couple minutes here uh, for the Lord's table as we partake of this. So let's close with a word of prayer. Father, you tell us that our eyes need to be upon you. You have told us that you are the way, the truth, and the light, that no one comes to the Father except by you. And Lord, we can sit here and we can think there is no God. Uh, That doesn't change the truth, that you are who you are. And so, Father, as we sit here today, Lord, if there's a heart that does not know you out here, if there's a heart that is searching for you out here, Lord, we, we ask that you reveal yourself to those individuals in only a way that you can. Lord, for the hurting that are in our congregation today, Lord, we pray for them. We pray that, that your spirit would touch them and, and that they would know that they are not alone, no matter what they are facing, if it is pain, if it's depression, if it's financial, that you are there. Lord, we never have to walk alone when we are your child. So, Lord, we ask that you speak to those hearts. And, Lord, reveal to them that your love is great and your mercy is rich and your grace is so wonderful in our life. And, Lord, that we can stand not in front of the accuser, but we can stand with you in righteousness when you have cleansed us from our sins. And so, Lord, we pray for that. And Lord, as we come to the Lord's table today, we also just pray that as we take these symbols, these elements, that we do remember what you did for us. Lord, we ask that you bless us through this time, through the rest of this day. Lord, as we have our potluck and fellowship that follows, Lord, just bless our time of fellowship also. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.